0: Why do many Hasidic men have long side locks, curls? Some of them have them curled, some of them have them behind their ears. Sideburns, long and curly, not being shorn, not being cut. They're called payas, payot. Why? This young boy is getting his first haircut. How old do at what age do Jewish boys get their first haircut and what is the significance of it? Today is Tuesday. It's 12:15. Time for lunch and learn. It's good to be back. We'll begin with a blessing Baruch atah Adonai Hello, the fan here. <clears throat> good afternoon, as usual. It's Tuesday, and we get together to study Torah for sixty minutes or so every week. We take another topic. We've been away for a couple of weeks. It's good to be back. And today's topic is the peos, the side-locks, and it's related to Jewish gardening, how to garden in a Jewish way, according to the Torah. And we'll see how these two ideas are related, gardening and grooming, Uh, getting a haircut, leaving the side-locks. I also have some of them, not very long. Why do some of them have really long? Some leave them short. We'll explore, we'll touch upon some of these ideas today. And how is this all connected to Rosh Hashanah? In less than two weeks, we'll be celebrating marking the first day of the new Jewish year known as Rosh Hashanah, beginning of the new year. Uh, how this is all connected. So we'll begin momentarily on this post. There is a link with uh, today's with source sheet prepared especially for today's lesson. And in English, it's divided to four sections, as usual, and hopefully you can follow along as we explore this fascinating topic. We'll first talk about gardening, and one of the specific laws in regards to gardening, and we'll see how that enlightens us in regards to this mitzvah. Of side locks, or known in Hebrew as peos. So here we go. We're going to get started uh, with our first source sheets. It's a good time of the year to study about gardening. It's the month of September. September. We'll talk about some trees. Timber. Okay. Uh, Source number one, hello Mark and hello everyone joining on live and after the live. Today's lesson is divided into four sections. The first section we will tackle, we will explore the mitzvah of Arlan. This takes us back, hello Jody, hello Roy, welcome back. We're just getting started with source number one. Today's topic once again is the sidelocks and we'll see how this is related and very much connected to one law in regards to Jewish gardening. Somebody asked me this question a couple of weeks ago, and this got me started. I figured might as well give a class on this topic. So, source number one takes us back 5,783 years ago to day number six of creation. God created the world in six days, as the book tells us in Genesis and Beratius. Day number six is the day that God created the animals as well as the first humans. Adam, Adam, and his wife Eve, Chava, were created on day number six. And actually, Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of mankind. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of the first humans. It is the birthday of all of humanity. The world was cre- started being created five days before that, on the 25th day of the month of Elul. But the first of Tishrei, which is Rosh Hashanah, celebrated every year, this is the real beginning of the year. This is when man started to live. And what happened on that day is related to today's topic. Source number one tells us, God planted a garden in Eden. After creating Adam, Adam, the first man on the sixth day of creation, which is Rosh Hashanah, coming up in less than two weeks, will mark 5,783 years since Adam's creation. So he planted, God planted a garden in Eden, some place called Eden. Eden. He planted a garden there, and God placed the man in the garden to work and guard it. So the first thing the Torah tells us that God did after. The completion of the official six days of creation. Everything is here, and now God goes, makes a garden. He places the man in the garden to start working the garden. So the first, the very first act in this world, once it was complete, was gardening. That's what God did. Vayita, he gardened. And the Midrash tells us that this is... Very significant and it's significant that the Torah tells it to us as we learn many times that every detail the Torah tells us is not just a history book but it is a lesson for us, an eternal lesson. Says the Midrash, God occupied himself with plantation first you also occupy yourselves with plantation. First, this is talking to the Jewish people while they're in the desert for 40 years. They did not work the land. They were in the desert. Things don't grow over there. They were studying Torah. They didn't need to work the land in order to survive. They had the manna. They had the water from the well, the miraculous rock. They had the clouds of glory. But once they will enter into the land of Israel and things will start to work in a natural format for them, they would have to work the land God tells them in the Torah, I did the same. I first busied myself with plantation, with planting. You do the same. Work the land. And as a fact, that is what the Jewish people did for hundreds and hundreds of years. The society in Israel, most of them were farmers. They worked the land. They planted. They plowed. They, uh, they sowed. They worked the land. And this has a powerful message to us, even though we are not farmers, maybe we're gardeners in our own backyard, but there's a lesson here about the importance of um, gardening. Source number two, the Rabbit points out, just as trees constantly bear fruits. What's the idea of gardening? It's not just only that there should be nice flowers and trees, but specifically fruit-bearing fruit bearing Tree. So too, we must fulfill our divine, fulfill our divine mission in a manner that bears fruit, that affects ourselves and others in a lasting and meaningful way. Right here, at the beginning of creation, God says, "Go plant something. Go make a difference. Make an impact. Make a change." Life is not just about self-gratification, self, um, you know, indulgence, pleasure. What can I have more? What can I have more? Life is about making a change, making a fruit. Making a, planting something, changing this, there should be growth. That's what life is about. That's the first thing God did. And that's what God put man in the garden to work it, to guard it, to work the field, to work and tend to the garden. Okay, now... The Jews come into the land of Israel, they know now, they should follow the ways of God, they should work the land. There are many mitzvahs. Of the 630 commandments in the Torah, many of them are agricultural. They are having to do with the different laws of tithing and the first fruits that were needed to be brought and uh, certain mixtures of planting or sowing that are forbidden. Many of the laws in regards to planting and gardening. Let's talk about one of them, and we'll see how this has got to do with those side locks that many Hasidic Jews have. I have them, I'm a Hasidic Jew, and many have real long ones, not in the Chabad circle, but many do, and we'll talk about them soon, but we'll hold off for that First, we'll focus on this mitzvah. Source number three, the Torah tells us, when you come to the land and you plant any food tree, its fruit shall be blocked for three years, not to be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy. In the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. So let's analyze this for a moment. I didn't make this up. This is in the Torah, this is in the book of Leviticus and the third book of the Torah of Ayikra, chapter nineteen. The Torah tells the Jewish people, commands them. One of the laws. There are many laws. There's the whole book of Maimonides. Of the fourteen books of Jewish law, one entire book is dedicated to the laws of working the land, called Zeraim. In the Mishnah, there's an the entire sixth what there are six um I guess orders of Mishnah, and one is dedicated to the laws of working the land. Here's one of those mitzvahs. It's actually actually a tractate of Mishnah called Arla. What is that? Arla means, in Hebrew, Arla means um, stuffed, blocked. What does this refer to? The Torah says that when the Jewish people come into the land of Israel and they plant a tree, a fruit tree specifically, then for the first three years, the fruits of that fruit tree are forbidden to be consumed, to be eaten by anybody. And by the Jewish people living in Israel. And not only not to eat from those fruits of the first three years, but not to derive any benefit. You can't sell it, can't give it as a gift, you can't do business with it. You should just let the birds and the squirrels, or the cats or whatever else, other animals out there to eat these fruits. The first three years, it's blocked. Arlo. Another translation would be, it's extra, it's not to be used, it's just there. Similar to the same word for the foreskin of a, that's taken off by a brist, by a circumcision. It's also called Arla because it's an extra piece of skin that God wants us to remove. Similarly, these fruits are, they're blocked, they're not for us to consume, to eat. The first three years, the fruits are forbidden. Even if it's not a Jewishly owned, tree, just like a Jew doesn't eat pork, a Jew doesn't eat fruits from the first three years of a tree. Now, that's the general idea. What happens after three years? The Torah says the fourth year, the fruits are holy, meaning that the fruits should be brought up to Jerusalem during times Jews living in Israel, in temple times, and eaten in holiness in the holy city of Jerusalem. And then the fifth year, then they are ordinary fruits that can be eaten anywhere. That's the mitzvah of Arla. Source number five, four. Now, when, this is when one plants in Israel. That's what the verse is referring to. In the diaspora out of Israel, this law also applies. It is a halakha transmitted to Moshe at Mount Sinai. That fruit that is definitely Arla is from the first three years is forbidden. If there is doubt regarding this manner, the matter, the it is permitted. So, Both in Israel and out of Israel, this law applies. Other laws, tithes, only apply in the land of Israel. This one applies also out of Israel. However, there is a difference. There is a leniency out of Israel, because it's not explicit in the verse, out of Israel, if there is doubt, or as long as it's not 100% that this fruit is from the first three years of a tree, it is permitted. So therefore, it is permitted to go to any fruit store out of Israel, and by the fruits, and one does not have to ask, is this fruit from a tree from the first three years? Because it's kosher unless proven non-kosher. So unless someone tells you, this tree, this fruit I just planted is from the first three years, so then it will be forbidden. But you don't need to have to ask, you don't have to pick up the phone to ask, unless you're clearly told, this is, or you know it's your own backyard, and you planted a tree, then the first three years you can't have But in Israel, it's not so. In Israel, if there is reason to doubt that maybe this is from the first few years, it needs to have a kosher certification that it is indeed. So in Israel, it worked like it's non-kosher unless proven that it is kosher. Unless you know that it's not from the first few years, then it is permitted to be eaten. So if there's like a new kind of fruit, there was a whole question a couple years ago. There was the cosmic crisp, a new kind of apple, and it was a new fruit. So there was a question. If it's known that this is a new fruit that is less than three years, um, then it would be a problem even in the diaspora. Practically, that fruit was permitted because it takes a few years in the nursery. And that is already considered three years until they actually, I guess, you know, brought it to the market. So it was permitted, but it was something to be dealt with because it was a question. Now, how do we count these three years? How do we count these three years? Not three years from when you plant the tree. There are, they, they are years on the Jewish calendar. However, it goes like this. Source number five. If a tree was planted 45 days before Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the new Jewish year, which is coming up next Sunday night, September 25th at sundown. So if a tree was planted 45 days, 30 days, basically, plus two weeks before Rosh Hashanah, the tree would enter its second year that Rosh Hashanah because it takes 14 days for it to take root. So, it needs 30 days in a year to be considered a year. That's a leniency. You don't have to have a full year. 30 days of a year is counted as a year. But, you need to plant it two weeks before 30 days because it takes about two weeks, 14 days, for it to get rooted and be considered a plant A tree so if it's planted 20 uh, 45 days before so it has two weeks to to um, take root and then 30 days of the year is considered year number one Rosh Hashanah begins the second year and then a third year so technically you would have two years and 45 days that would be considered three years although we count the three years from Rosh Hashanah Fruit that ripens before the 15th of Shabbat is still considered our law. We have a date on the calendar uh, in the month of Shabbat, which is five months, four and a half months after Rosh Hashanah, the 15th of Shabbat, knowing the birthday of trees, the New Year's for trees. So any fruit that of the third year, which continues to stay on the tree and only ripens after Rosh Hashanah before the 15th of Shabbat, would still be considered of the past year. So sometimes it would be you know, more than two years and 45 days. So that's just the technical parts. If you got that, there's a whole tractate and the deals with some of these questions, how exactly they're calculated. That's a general idea that this Rosh Hashanah coming up is not just the new year. Now it's going to be 5783, but it's also the new year for the count of Arla trees that were planted. And therefore, if somebody does not want to have three full years, they're going to time the planting of the trees 45 days before Rosh Hashanah, so that it will take root for two weeks, th- then it'll have 30 days, so that 30 days can be counted as a whole year. Now this only applies to fruit trees. It's not if you planted a tree just for the wood, and it's not for vegetables and stuff like that. It's only fruit trees, and we'll see soon why specifically fruit trees, but this only applies to fruit trees so if you're planting an apple tree, those apples of the first three years in your backyard, or not full full year three years, should not be consumed. Although, if you do plan to do it, consult your rabbi, because there are some um, details that can help circumvent um, some of these laws, if we can say so. Source number six to conclude our first section here, that gardening, this, this is just one of the laws of gardening, of Jewish gardening, but gardening in general uh, does not just, like we said before, teach us about life, that life is about making change and making growth, not just taking as much as we can, but it's also about giving. But God refers to this world as His garden. I have come to my garden. This is a verse from Song of Songs and One of the books of the Tanakh, the entire Torah, referring to this world as my garden. God says when he came down on Mount Sinai or when he came down to rest in the temple in, in Jerusalem, I came to my garden. That's how God rests in this world. He's here always, but specifically at those times, excuse me, referring to this place as a garden. Just as we tend our own gardens, so too it is our job to go out into the world and tend God's garden. Through our divine service of Torah and mitzvahs, we transform a world that may at times seem like a wild jungle into a God's beautiful garden. Fascinating that these words were the opening words of our Rebbe's first talk when he was a Assuming the leadership position, 1951, he brought this verse, Basi legani, God says, I came to my garden and spoke about how it's our job to make this world to be apparent as God's garden, making this world a better place through acts of goodness and kindness, through studying Torah, doing mitzvahs, and being a light unto the nations. We've got to be gardeners. Removing the weeds, but mostly focusing on planting and doing good stuff. So that's the mitzvah of Arla. Three years, blocked. After three years, the fourth year, we do a mitzvah with the fruit, we bring it to Jerusalem. That doesn't really apply here in the diaspora. Fifth year, it is ordinary fruit for us to enjoy. Now, as we try to link this to the side locks, let's try to delve into the reasoning behind this mitzvah. This is one mitzvah of the 613 commandments. They are commandments from God, but we are given a brain and we are given certain teachings in Midrash and Talmud from the great commentators of our rich history, giving us some insight into the reasoning behind this mitzvah. We'll start with some basic reasons and we'll go into the more mystical and kabbalistic idea and this will begin to connect to the side locks. Source number six. (sighs) Talking about trees. Which tree can fit into your hand? The palm tree. And the palm tree is connected to Sukkot. After Rosh Hashanah we have Yom Kippur, we have Sukkot. And on Sukkot we shake the four kinds and the tall one, the lulav, is a palm tree branch. Okay, one more. How do trees access the internet? By logging on. Source number seven to honor says, Nachmanides, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman a great 13th century scholar known as the Ramban, born in, I think, Italy, later lived in Jerusalem. There is a synagogue in the Old City of Jerusalem still today known as the Ramban Nachmanidi Synagogue. He says like this, source number seven, to honor the Eternal One with the first of the fruits of the tree. Now, The fruit of the first three years is not fit to be brought before God because it is small and without good taste or flavor. It takes some time for the fruit to develop a proper size and proper taste. And you don't want to partake of the fruits before offering them to Hashem, before doing it in a a holy way. Now, it's not, so number one is the first fruits got to go to God. We got to bring them to Jerusalem and do something holy with them. But the first fruits are not nice in the first three years. They're small, they're tasteless, they're not as juicy or they're not as flavorable. I'm not a gardener, I'm not really well versed in these things, but apparently the first few years are not the best crop, the best stuff. But we're not going to eat it before bringing it to God. So therefore we wait. We say we wait three years. So that's the rule. We're not going to say each tree, you know, this wait until this is better. We make a general rule. Three years is the general time slot. The time uh, it takes, the duration it takes for the fruits to be presentable, to be used for a mitzvah to bring to Jerusalem. So we wait three years. Meanwhile, can enjoy it. Don't derive any benefit because first first things, we give it to the owner, to the creator, to the one who makes everything grow, to Hashem. For that, we refrain. That's one idea Nachmanides brings and in source number 80 he brings a second one. The fruit which comes forth from the tree when it is first planted contains an abundance of moisture which attaches to and is harmful to the body and is not good to eat. It's just more of a practical thing. It's just not good to eat. Whether it is actually from a uh, physician's point of view or from a spiritual point of view, that is just not good for the body to eat. That's the second thing. Again, I don't understand much, just what Mahman is telling us that the first few years, it takes time for the fruit to develop and become the perfect fruit. So, till then, we wait. We wait three years. That's not humanities. Explaining things from more of a logical standpoint, And Maimonides, rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, the Sephardic rabbi from Spain, lived in Israel and mostly in Egypt, buried in Tiberias, 12th century sage. Maimonides writes, source 9, the sorcerers and magicians of those days would practice witchcraft at the planting, thinking they would accelerate the coming out of its fruit before their natural time. And when the fruits appear, they would offer them to their idol, who they pray to, to accelerate this process. Therefore, the fruits which come out before three years should be forbidden, because if they're going to be permitted right away, then people will be going to these magicians, these idol worshippers, to... Pray to their idols to worship their idols on, be, on their behalf or they themselves would do so in order to accelerate the process of the fruits coming out to benefit from them immediately. So we say, hey, it's forbidden. You can't wait. You anyways, you have to wait three years. So if you anyways have to wait, why should we go do this process and pay these magicians and worship these idols? If anyways we're forbidden to benefit from them for the first three years, we might as well wait for the natural course of things. That's what Maimonides explains. It. He says, therefore, there's a ban on the fruit of the first three years to move the Jewish people away from idol worship. Because it was a practice then to worship idols at the planting, that thing should go swift. So we say it's not going to help. Anyways, you got to wait. And then comes the Shach. The Shach, Rabbi, one of the two great sages called the Shach, the Sivte Kohen, Rabbi Mordechai Hakohen from the city of Tzifat, one of the great Kabbalists lived a few hundred years ago in north of Israel. And here I have a commentary on the Torah explaining the mitzvah from more of a mystical, Kabbalistic point of view. And here is how this connects to the sidelocks and to Rosh Hashanah, which is the anniversary of the creation of Adam and Eve. But it's also the anniversary of the first, most grave sin. What was the sin that Adam and Eve pre- committed? shortly after their creation. Source number 10. From the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. We studied in source number 1, that God placed man in the garden of Eden that He planted. And in the garden there were trees, many trees that they were permitted to partake of, to enjoy its fruit. But one tree, the tree called et Hadat the tree of knowledge, the tree of good and bad. That tree, God instructs Adam and Eve, do not eat from it. You can eat from anything else. You shall not eat of it. One instruction they were given, Adam and Eve. What happened? The snake got involved and they sinned. They ate from the fruit. Short time... After God instructed them not to, says the Midrash, the fruit was not intended to be eternally prohibited. Adam and Chava were created on Friday afternoon and were instructed not to eat the fruit for only three hours until Shabbos. They were created on the ninth hour. The Midrash goes through exactly what happened every day, every hour of that day, which is Rosh Hashanah today, the day of Adam and Eve's creation, their birthday. And on that day is when they were instructed. It was a Friday afternoon and the ninth hour. At the twelfth hour, it would have been sundown. Shabbos would have came in. And came in. And all they were instructed to do was to hold back from that fruit, from that tree for three hours. And then when Shabbos would come, you would be, per- they would be permitted. According to one opinion, it was actually a grapevine. And they would squeeze the grapes and make wine and make Kiddush verbally declare the sanctity of the holy day of Shabbos. Over the wine, over this fruit, they would be able to enjoy it just three hours later. But they failed to delay their gratification, their pleasure for three hours on a Friday afternoon on Rosh Hashanah. That is why Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, because Adam and Eve were judged for committing that sin. They were sent out of the Garden of Eden. He was told that eventually he's going to die. And, uh, Chava was told she'll have birth pain and so on. There was the whole, and, and the snake, with his feet were cut up. The whole story the Torah tells us, it was a day of judgment. And similarly, every year on this day, the day of the birthday of humanity, it is a day of judgment. And God judges us and decides our destiny for the upcoming year. Not just us, but everything in this world. So what does this have to do with the side lock? Source number 11, in order to rectify his sin of refusing to wait three hours, We are required to wait three years before we partake of any fruit tree, tree fruit. By treating the fourth year fruit in a holy manner, we rectify the fact that Adam did not first taste the fruit as part of his sanctification of the Shabbos. So Adam, Adam and Chava, you couldn't wait three years. You couldn't delay your pleasure of partaking of that particular tree for three three hours. So God says, you have the mitzvah of three years being blocked. Train yourself. Train yourself not to indulge. Adam, the first man, and we all have a bit of Adam inside of us. His soul was an encompassing soul. All of our souls are a derivative, are a a, uh, spark of his soul. So whatever was committed by him and his wife, we rectify because we have a piece of him inside of us. So he failed the test of three hours, holding himself back for three hours, him and his wife. So we have this mitzvah called Orla, says the Siftei Koen, of Mordechai Koin. this is the reason or part of the reason for the mitzvah of our Three years the fruit are blocked to rectify those three hours that Adam did not block the fruit of the forbidden tree. Source number 12. Self-control and discipline remind us that there is more to life than just eating delicious fruits. Life is about gardening, life is about planting, life is about growth, about making an impact, about serving fruit to others, and those others have more seeds, and they can plant more. Nutrition, providing for others, making a difference. Life is not just about eating ourselves delicious fruits. Creating boundaries around our indulgences helps create a focus and consciousness that there is a bigger picture. Don't eat right away. Relax. There's something else. Life is not just about enjoying fruit. Self-control. Not everything you want. Your impulses have to be followed through. Relax. Enjoying Enjoying life's blessings Is just a small part of an existence also filled with meaning, values, and a higher purpose. Sometimes we got to say, wait a second. So I'll give up for myself for somebody else or for a bigger cause, for God, for another. The delicious fruit trees are God's gift to us. But the commandment to wait three years before enjoying them is an even greater gift. The gift of discipline and self-control. And this boundary helps us remember that there is a bigger picture. There is a purpose. There are values. It's not just about us enjoying things. That too. We can enjoy life. But that's not number one. We're here for a reason. We're here to tend to God's garden to make this world a better place. How? God gave us the tools. He gave us a book. He created this world and he authored a book. He gave us a Torah. That's how we make this world a better place. So the three three years are for the three hours. And the fourth year, the Torah says, the fourth year you take the fruit and you sanctify, you bring it up to Jerusalem. That's what Adam was meant to do. He was meant after three hours of holding himself back, then he was supposed to take that grape and squeeze it and use it for a mitzvah. He didn't do that. He failed, so we do that. We rectify that with the mitzvah of Arla. But even if we're not gardeners, this teaches us a lesson. The mitzvah teaches us that there is self-control. Not every time I want something do I need to get it. And life is not just about enjoying. It is also about working hard and being there for another, being there for God. God put us here with a mission. He needs us. And he's waiting for our every mitzvah. We turn the page to source number 13. So we know there's a mitzvah called Orla. Three years, the fruit are banned. Why? Let's talk about the third reason, the reason of the Sifte Kohen. The fourth reason that we brought. These three years are related to to the three hours of Adam and its message is you, f- you planted a tree, you worked hard, okay, now wait a little bit, wait, relax, before you indulge. Now, if you would visit my home or my parents' home, where I recently visited in Toronto. There's one wall, what we call the family room, with many pictures of all my my brothers and myself when we were three years old, or just before our third birthday. We had long hair. And my mother took us for... Um, take pictures, take a nice picture, professional picture. In the studio of almost three-year-old about to get his third haircut this is going to be the last picture before what we call the upsharinish or the upsharin in Yiddish means to cut off to remove the cut off of the long hair source number 13 It is a Jewish custom not to shave or cut a baby boy's hair until his third birthday. Many baby boys can be almost three years old and they look like a girl because they have long hair. Now this is a custom that is not halacha. It is important to differentiate between certain things that are halacha, Jewish law, and certain things that are merely Jewish custom. So eating pork is not a Jewish custom. It is a Jewish law. It is forbidden to eat pork. To fast on Yom Kippur is a halakha. It's explicit in the five books of Moses. God instructs us to fast and refrain from eating and drinking for the 25 hours of the holy day of Yom Kippur. This is a Jewish custom. To refrain from cutting a baby boy's hair from when he's born until his Jewish third birthday. I would say most Jewish communities, or many Jewish communities, follow this custom. This is a very ancient custom, hundreds and hundreds of years old, although it is unclear exactly when it began, but it is hundreds and hundreds of years old. We have a book about 500 years old from a student of the Arizal, the great Kabbalist Isaac Luria from Tzifat. And his student writes, The Arizal, my master of Isaac Luria, known as the Arizal, took his family to Rabbi Shimon's grave in Meirun, on Lag Boomer. There he performed his son's first hair cutting with great excuse me, joy and festivity, according to the well-known tradition. So 500 years ago, there was a well-known tradition of cutting a baby boy's hair for the first time at three years old. And he did so with great fanfare, with festivity in a holy place at the gravesite of Rabbi Shimon in the city of Meiron. Until today, this is a a widely practiced Jewish custom that a Jewish boy waits for his first haircut until he's three years old and a party is made for my third birthday. My parents came all the way from Toronto to New York and brought me along to be able to celebrate this milestone of my first haircut in close proximity to the Rebbe 19... Uh, Many years ago, when the Rebbe was still alive, to be able to make the the party uh, and get a blessing, and the Rebbe would send a special letter, signed blessing the, the young boy, which I have somewhere. The first haircut. For how many years? Three years. We don't cut the baby boy's hair. How many years don't we eat from the fruit of the tree? Three years. Source number 14. A person is like a tree of a field. The Torah tells us that a man, a human, is like a tree in many ways. Just as a tree emerges from a tiny seed to grow tall and bear fruit, so a small child grows physically and in knowledge and bears the fruit of his good deeds. In the beginning, a child is very selfish, self-centered. Middle of the night, if he's hungry or if she's hungry, he's gonna cry and wake his parents up and make them tired. But that's what he needs. So, as the child grows in knowledge, the child matures and bears the fruit of good deeds, helping others and not just thinking about himself. Therefore, just as trees. Grow unharvested for three years. Tradition calls for leaving a boy's hair uncut. Why only a boy? We'll see. Why not a girl? And this is actually a Loser Jewish custom. There's source for it in the Midrash, which was almost 1,800 years old. Source number 15. Three years it shall be forbidden for you. This verse is teaching about an infant when an infant can neither talk nor speak. So for three years, you cannot educate a child. You can't really talk and train a child to speak Hebrew and say the words of the Siddur of the Torah because pretty much for the first three years the child can't speak properly. So it's like three years is like blocked. In the fourth year, all the truth shall be set aside. For God, when his father dedicates him to the Torah, three years, that's when the child's formal Jewish education, Torah education basically begins, although it could begin earlier, but pretty much uh, three years, that's the milestone when the child transitions into a uh, stage when he can begin to talk and say words of Torah. So we inaugurate this process by cutting his hair and leaving the payas. At three years old, basically, is a time when the child is somewhat maturing and reaches a stage when we can begin to educate them in the ways of God and the ways of the Torah. Because he can speak properly usually at three years old. And we inaugurate the process by leaving, giving him his first haircut. Three years, we don't touch him, don't cut his hair, similar to the three years of the tree. A man is compared to a tree. So we don't cut his hair, we we'll just leave it for three years. On his third birthday, now it's like the fourth year beginning, we take the fruits to Jerusalem, we do a mitzvah with it, now we do a mitzvah with his hair. We cut the hair, but we leave the pais, the sideburns. And we'll get to the details of these payas, why that is important soon. Source number 16, the first hair cutting of a baby boy is a Jewish custom of great importance. The essence of the custom is the educational act of leaving uncut side locks. From that day on, it is the custom to take particular care in accustoming the boy to wear tzitzis, to recite blessings and the bedtime shema. That's what in Hebrew is called chinuch. Chinuch is education or literally training, just like we train a child to say, please, thank you you're welcome, excuse me, and to clear up and to make his bed and to brush his teeth. Those are human important skills and practices, so too, as a Jew, we train the child to do what the Torah demands and instructs us. It is part of our mission to say blessings, to say the Shema, to wear tzitzis, wear a yarmulke, and to leave payas, leave the sideburns uncut. Or not fully removed. And three years old is when this takes place. Source number 17. Long hair, according to the teachings of Kabbalah, represents untamed, unbridled, and unrestrained energy. An energy that extends non-restrictively into all directions and places. A boy has plenty of hair. Let's take a look at this young boy. Hair flying all over the place. There's no restrictions. It's just growing. That is free-flowing and wild. The small boy running around, running about with his long hair flowing behind him represents a little bundle of energy brimming with life. Just like a little boy flying around. Does not contain himself. Doesn't restrict himself. Does what he wants. Goes where he wants. Says what he wants. Cries when he wants. So his hair is flying around. That energy is unrestrained. By source number 18, we are born wild, yet there is no genuine spirituality without ethics, which means a taming of the wild. This is called Tikkun. Correction. um, Boundaries. Restrictiveness. Taking that energy and uh, limiting it to a specific cause, a specific times. Getting a haircut and leaving the payus represent this movement into a level of maturity. The child can now be educated and introduced to a proper framework to exist in a world of order and sharing. At that age, a child begins to usually go to, to school and is uh, aware of others, can share, not just um, being self-centered. So the cutting of the hair, it's no more unrestrained. It is restrained. There's payas, here we leave it, everywhere else is cut. This energy is uh, focused. So the three-year mark, the three-year milestone, represents that transition. And the cutting of the hair, mystically, has got to do with it. Okay, but mystical, but this whole custom is a mystical custom. Fourth section, let's talk about the piss. So far we got the mitzvah of arla. the fruit trees are banned for three years. The reason goes back to Rosh Hashanah 5,783 years ago. They couldn't hold themselves back for three hours. We hold ourselves back for three years. Those three years have got to do with the upsharenish custom, the custom of cutting a boy's hair at three years, waiting for three years. And the point of the custom is to leave the payas. What are the payas? And why do we have to leave them? Interesting that in Hebrew, um, a barber is called a sapar. Sapar means a barber. And sapar is the same Letters in Hebrew as sefar, which means a boundary. the The border is the far because exactly it's exactly what a barber is doing. He is placing a limits, restraining that energy in a specific way, cutting it down, leaving specific spots, and that's what education is about. And that begins at three years old. In addition to that custom, there's also a custom of wrapping the boy in a talis and bringing him to a, to a school and pouring honey and on the Hebrew letters and him licking the honey. The Torah is sweet. It's another Jewish custom. The peyos. The payos, I think in Russian, um peisatnik used to call the religious Jews the payas satnik. I think that's related to the payas. Correct me if I'm wrong. The payas, side locks, the sideburns. Some of them are long, some of them are curled, some of them are behind the ear, some of them keep them under the yarmulke, under the hat. All kinds of versions of the payas, but all are equal that we do not shave and remove the sideburns. Even if there's no beard yet. This hair is left to grow. Source number 19. Another mitzvah of the Torah. Do not round off the hair at the edges of your heads. God instructs the Jewish people. I'm going to get very specific. God says, when you take a haircut, let me tell you how to take a haircut. Do not round off the head. Do not, well, my hair is missing here, but do not make it round like that. Round from the front to the back. Do not round off the edges. Okay, Mark, thank you for enlightening me. I, God forbid to not mean it in a derogatory uh, manner. But perhaps that's the source, right? A person with paus, Because that is a very distinguish- uh, distinguishable um, feature of a Jew. So the Torah says, do not round off the hair at the edges of your heads. What is the edges? The term edges says the Talmud refers to the hair between the ears and the temples. So between your temples and your ears, this hair over here. Rounding out the edges refers to... Removing the sideburns so that there is a straight hairline from the forehead to behind the ears. That is forbidden by the Torah. The Torah says, do not round off this edge. Do not round it off from the temples to the ears. Leave this hair. More explicit in the uh, Code of Jewish Law or the Kits or the bridged version of Code of Jewish Law, there are two corners of the head. Corners or edges. That's what Peah means. Peah literally means the corner, the edges. Two corners are hair and here, not here, here and here. This hair, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, there are two corners of the head located at the base of the sides of the head, at the juncture of the temple and the cheek on both right and left side near the ears. The area of the corners that are forbidden to shave includes the hair from the top of the forehead to below the ear at the point where the bottom jaw widens and spreads outward. So, uh, to make this clear, from the forehead until the ear, ear, on top of the ear, about mid-ear, this whole area should not be shaved. And not just here, but also here, going down to where you put your finger here, there's the jaw bone, that's where it needs to extend to minimally. Some extend a little longer, but till here, it's hard to see with my beard. But there's a bone there, and the paeus should be long enough till here. It should not be shaven, shaved off. Now, this is only for Jewish males. Because, um, just technical, this is what God wanted. that he This mitzvah is in the same verse. As the mitzvah of beard, and because women typically do not have beards, so they are exempt also of the mitzvah of rounding off their head. So they may remove their sideburns. Source number twenty-one. Why? Why is it forbidden? Says my says the chinuch, the chinuch. One of the explainers, <laughs> the ones that give commentary, goes on the order of the 630 commandments, giving a somewhat of a logical explanation for the mitzvah. Of course, the mitzvahs are so deep. They're God's will. How are we to comprehend it? But there are some sources in and Midrash, some ideas that were passed down from generation to generation or, or revealed by great holy men in giving us some insight into this mitzvah. Says the Chinuch, Jewish males, must leave their past unshorn. It was the practice of the pagan priests to completely shave their heads, to emulate the idols they worshipped, who were, which for obvious reasons were hairless because idols don't grow hair. So they wanted to emulate their idols, so they shaved their heads as well, including their side locks, sideburns. Therefore, the Torah specifically commands us to leave, pay us, to demonstrate our rejection of those beliefs and our commitment to God. So apparently, Jewish people at that time, it's hard for us to imagine, but idol worship was very dominant, was very widespread, especially in Israel uh, thousands of years ago, in some parts of the world today. And people were, would get haircuts and shaving their heads, and I guess specifically this area or including that area, to emulate the idols they worshipped. And in order for Jews to stay as far as possible away from idol worship, God says, do not follow their practices. Anything to do with idol worship, do not round off your head. Well, that's one idea. Uh, but either way, it's a mitzvah of the Torah, no matter if that doesn't apply nowadays and people don't take such haircuts and people don't worship idols. A mitzvah is a mitzvah. The words of Torah are eternal for all of times. God uh, Not just predicted the future, but creates the future and knows everything that's going to happen in the future. This is the message, Source 22, that we impart to the child as he begins his life as an observant Jew. He's three years old, and it's time for his formal Jewish education to begin. And we inaugurate the process of teaching him Torah by giving him a haircut and telling him it's about time that we don't just think about ourselves, but we think about others, think about Hashem, say Shema Yisrael every night when you go to sleep. Thank Hashem in the morning, thank Hashem for your soul. Share with others. And we do this process, we inaugurate this process with leaving the payas, and the payas is making him very distinguishable as a Jew and saying, do not be like the idol worshippers. Do not be like others. Do not follow. Be a leader. Do what's right whether others are doing so or not. We are educating him to hold strong to the Jewish way of life and urge him not to be swayed by outside forces. The paeus visually reinforce this idea. Well, they picked up on it. And many times throughout our history, they targeted the paeus. One such example was during the time a few hundred years ago in the Russian Empire under the Tsar Nicholas I made a decree amongst many other decrees against the Jewish people not just where they can live and also how they can dress. And there was a ban on the payas on having side locks. What to do? Well, Jews would not violate the Torah. Many began to take their paeus and, um, grow them, of course, but hide them behind their ears. So, hard to do with mine because it takes, uh, you gotta do it when they're wet (laughs) after the shower and keep pulling it behind the ears so it's not so noticeable. Torah doesn't say that it has to be here. It just shouldn't be cut off. So if it's behind the ears, that would be okay. Some began to take their payas, grow them long, and then hide them upward and take the two from both sides and tie them together and keep them under the yarmulke. That's why some of them have really big kippahs because there's a lot of hair under there from their payas. One such man was Reb Hillel of Parach, a great tzaddik, a chassid, great Lab. Chabad, Chassid, but also a very holy man. And he lived in Babroisk, in Belarus. And he did nothing. Nothing was going to stop him from fulfilling the Torah's commandment to grow your payas. And he's not going to hide it. No changes. Sooner or later, a Russian soldier came up to him in the street. We had nice big payas tackled him to the ground and was going to cut his payas off. Gleefully. But he met, he was met with resistance. This old man, or elderly man, Rabbi Hillel, was holding his hands to his face so tightly that the soldier had trouble removing his hand and cut off his payas. And he started to scream, Rabbi Hillel. And his screams were heard by passers-by and they came over and they managed to get the soldier to stop. This was the holy man, they told him. You can't just do that. You're insulting him. You're Miraculously, there was one individual that spoke up. He was the one. He was a tailor. He would make uh, uniforms. So I guess a soldier, he would make uniforms for the army, uh, Russian army. The soldier listened. Rabbi Hillel was very grateful to the man, this Jewish man, for uh, helping him. Retain, helping him keep his past and stopping the soldier. And he promised him that you will be buried next to me, which is a very special thing where a person is buried, has great significance. A person should be buried near their parents or near close proximity to a holy man, a holy woman, a holy a tzaddik, a tzaddik, a righteous person. You know, near the Rebbe's grave in Montefiore Cemetery in Queens, it's more expensive to get a grave in that cemetery. Many people want to be buried there and close to the Rebbe. Okay, years go, a couple years go by, and Rebbe Hillel, at that time, moved, moved to the city of Kherson in the Ukraine. And it is there where he passed away, and he was buried in the Jewish cemetery in Kherson. Well, some years pass, and that tailor who had saved Ab Hillel, and where Ab Hillel had promised that you will be buried next to me, is visiting his daughter in Kherson, from Babroisk. He goes to Kherson, and while he's visiting his daughter, he falls ill, passes away on a very snowy, wintry day. The cemetery, the Jewish cemetery, is covered in snow. Go try finding the right spot for this Jew they didn't really even know him he we was just visiting his daughter to transfer him at that time during the winter to his home city it was not feasible so they figured they'll bury him at the side of the cemetery the side of the you know the the section but it was snowing things were piled high things the snow was piled high and they buried him they did what they can. A couple of months later, when the snow melted, they realized that he was buried right next to the great Rabbi Hillel of Parish, who was the rabbi and holy man. And that was saved. That spot was being saved for, for the special, for the distinguished people of the community. They didn't know what to do. They went to the rabbi. The rabbi said, huh. He was buried there. It's by God's plan. He should stay there. It's not a simple matter to, to move a grave. Well, they sent word to the rabbi in Babroisk and that rabbi in Babroisk responded that the promise of Rab was fulfilled. Even after his passing, it was arranged that that individual should be buried right next to him. He was in Babroisk, he was in Kherson, but God orchestrated things in a way. On a wintry day, he was visiting his daughter, he fell ill, that's where he was buried. Why? Because he thanked, because he helped Rabhila preserve the payus. Source number 23, Much animosity, and torture was directed specifically at the Jewish Pass, and more recently during the Holocaust they took they took uh, pleasure in removing the pa from any Jewish faces for the paous are a sign that differentiates and clearly marks the Jew. However, instead of being embarrassed by them, many Jews literally gave their lives for their payous, staying proud Jews, even to the last moment of their lives. Hello, Stan. And to this concludes our lesson today about the payas. Some curl them, but the idea of having long ones, though it's not necessary according to Jewish law to have long ones, as long as they're they're not shaven off and they're till the bone, they don't have to be that thick, but it's there somewhere, it's it's there. This area is not shaven off until the bone, the payas is there. But out of the chavivus, out of the, the Jewish people, we have a mitzvah. We don't just do the minimum to get away. We're we're so happy to do the mitzvah. We treasure it. We we have a, a love for the mitzvah that we we do it extra. We don't even cut anything. They leave it. Some of them leave it growing long. Well, it's not our custom, but some grow long. They curl it. Some do keep it behind their ears still and some keep it under the kippahs, the yarmulkes, each with their own custom, but all are equal that we do not shave them off. This is a mitzvah that everyone, uh, it's easy to observe, it just usually you have something anyways, so instead of shaving it off, just leave a little bit, it should be noticeable, it, should, it shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, it should be uh, somewhat there, if you want the details exactly, usually in the Jewish community, the barbers are trained, uh, they know what to do, To have the payos. The payos. The side locks. So this all goes back to Rosh Hashanah as we began because on Rosh Hashanah is when Adam and Eve were created and that is the day that they were instructed not to eat from the tree for three hours. They could not withstand the test and they failed it for three hours not holding themselves back. We have a mitzvah called Orla that when we plant a tree we don't eat from the fruits of the tree for three years and those three years has also got to do why we don't cut a baby boy's hair for three years and now on the third birthday that is when we cut his hair and we leave the payas. The payas is the taking that energy that's tohu, that is just flying and unbridled, and we restrict it and we say, okay, now it's time to be a mensch. Now it's time to be mature, to discipline yourself, and to share with others, and to think about Hashem. Now, the mitzvah of payas, that is a very distinguishable reminder of who we are, what our mission is. For the men and for the women, tell your husbands and your sons and your children about it. So, this is, uh, I guess, a good time gardening for Rosh Hashanah, is the new year, and it's a time to think about and reflect how we ought to tend to God's garden, making the world a better place, one mitzvah at a time, one person at a time, and hopefully this upcoming year would be will be a uh, good year, we shall all be signed and sealed for good, as we wish each other, kesiva vachasimatova, A good, healthy, happy, sweet new year with only nachas and good things happening. Thank you for joining our Lunch and Learn number 174. We had a break for a couple of weeks, but we should be back next week, God willing, Tuesday for another lesson in preparation for the new year 5783 Rosh Hashanah. If you have any questions, you can post it in the comments. You can take a moment to share this So others can benefit as well. And thank you to Julia who brought up this question about uh, any laws for Jewish gardening. Um, Thank you. Thank you all for joining. And... Have a wonderful day.